The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Time Masters, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, August 16th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Please welcome my co-host, Professor X. Hello, hello, everyone. And Millie Wood. Hello, everyone. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 6, Episode 12, which was titled, Board, On Board, On Board, and aired August 15th, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. The legends are ready to get back home, but after Constantine overloaded Gideon, they're going to have to go the old-fashioned way to preserve the ship's energy. Trying to entertain themselves, tensions start to grow high, so Gary suggests playing a murder mystery game to pass the time. Constantine decides to make the game more interesting, which makes Bayrod worried about him, but is met with pushback from Zari. Meanwhile, Rory and Gary deal with an unexpected guest that arrives on the Wayrider. Yes, that was, uh, that was quite the paragraph, but it, all that actually happened. So let's dive into it. And let's talk about the setup for the episode, because we get a little bit of um, you know exposition as to why our wave riderites are board on board on board at the start of the episode uh, Gideon when 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 Constantine magicked the wave rider Gideon kind of uh, um, it kind of went on the fritz and they can't time jump so it would take them basically uh, practically two weeks to get back to earth from where they are which was you know that were where we left off with them at that uh, cosmic bowling alley. We got to see everyone sort of adjusting to the idea of having to be together, stuck on the ship, but not only just stuck on the ship, stuck on the ship without doing anything to drain the energy that's needed to uh, power the ship to Earth. And, of course, everyone starts to get annoyed at the lack of screen time, the lack of technology, and the fact that they're stuck together on a time ship. Millie, talk to me about the setup. What would you think of it? We got to see basically almost everybody adjusting to all of that during those first couple minutes of the episode. It was a very clever way, I assume, for them to kind of, like, film things more contained. Um, and I like the setup because it's, like, they already drive each other nuts when they're not stuck on a time ship. I was seeing it, like, they've been a little bit stuck sometimes, but it's nice to see that again, especially with all these new players. Uh, so that was a really good setup and definitely kicks it off for some interesting, like, shenanigans that goes on. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Shenanigans did ensue. Professor, I want to get your take on Bayrod, and we can talk about Bayrod throughout the entire episode. Bayrod was hella suspicious about Constantine, and we sort of saw that in the previous episode. Ever since Constantine returned from supposedly, uh, you know, getting the the Fountain of Imperium, Bayrod has always, you know, has been noticing certain things about Constantine, and it was uh, more so evident 
in a grander scale in this episode. We got a lot of close-ups of Bayrod reacting to Constantine being Constantine. What did you think of how that was written, how it was interpreted, and did you like that it was Bayrod that noticed that there was something off with Constantine throughout this episode? I think it would have made more sense if it was uh, Fashion Zari who had uh, had made that connection. But you know, uh, you know, Fashion Zari has been out of the mix for a while, so Bayrod has been there to see these things. You know, in previous episodes or in the last episode, anyway, even though John was behaving in an uncharacteristic way and was giving off all the warning signs, they were doing it when Bayrod was playing high Bayrod. So it sort of, you know, excused him not noticing things in this episode. He was playing much more straight, uh, you know, and so I think he was much more aware of things than he has been in previous episodes when they've been playing him just as sort of the, the fun stoner. Uh, so I thought it was very effective sort of showing that, you know, when Bayrod is paying more attention and isn't, uh, you know, uh, uh, in, in an altered state. He can be very observant and indeed did spot something that no one else had spotted. Uh, even Zari, who, you know, was or fashion Zari, who was back for most of the episode, uh, you know, didn't figure anything out until afterwards. And it, it also, you know, it did sort of, you know, do a nice job of setting up that is this just that, you know, he, you know, he doesn't think John's good enough for his sister or anything like that. But no, he does have a good reason for his suspicion. So I think they did a pretty good job of doing that. And I think having Bayrod be the one to notice it uh, made sense because everyone else is sort of, you know, off busy with their little things. Everyone else can pair up. Everyone else has something that they're doing. Bayrod really doesn't. So it kind of makes sense that he'd be the one to see those things. Lots of really great points, Professor. Uh, Millie, I want to bring you in. The Professor sort of dealt with the Bayrod side of the coin. Let's talk about Constantine. Because I'll say this. I thought Constantine was incredibly brazen in this episode, really using the magic that he had uh, at times where it wasn't necessarily needed. You know, we had uh, uh, Bayrod, Zari 2.0, and Nate doing some yoga, and then all of a sudden Constantine shows up, and he takes it over by magicking in some ambiance. Uh, later on, when we get to the main plot of the episode, which is them being transported into a board game, we see Constantine once again. You know, they were just playing the board game, but Constantine's like, let's spice this up, and he uses his magic to magic them into the board game. What do you think of Constantine's freewheeling use of magic in this episode? Did you think it was a little too over the top, and and uh, it was um, it was something that was going to expose what he was doing, what he's secretly doing to the rest of the team? Did you think it was a little careless? Did you think it was appropriate for the plot based off of where Constantine goes in the story? What'd you think? I definitely think it was over the top. I think that was the point. Like, it felt out of character, which it was supposed to. And I think that, that and maybe they had to do a little bit obvious, so like, Bayrod gets on it. Because it is interesting that Bayrod notices, and the professor said, but no one else really notices. Um, because it did feel very, like, heavy-handed a little bit. Um, more so than just, like, Constantine being impatient. But I also think it was a good setup to show what the, I guess, the power of this blood magic does um and it makes it like super unpredictable super uh like addictive as well um so i think in terms of the context it makes sense do i really like it and that's debatable but um i think that for the character and where they're going with it uh i liked it and of course like matt ryan did a really great job playing this like unhinged version of constantine yeah, it's interesting cuz you said did you really like it and that's something that i was struggling with the episode cuz i was like do i like this I would say no, just because I like Constantine, and I really like Zari 2.0, and I even like them together. So part of me, like, my heart was torn because he's playing the hell out of it, and he's doing a really good job with it, and the storyline is so rich and interesting. But part of me is also a little bit disappointed because I'm like, I don't know if I really want to see Constantine addicted to this dark magic because I want to root for the character. And, um, you know, he's making some really terrible choices in this episode. This was a very Constantine episode. And I don't know if I would have guessed that based off of the promo that we got. So I was surprised at, like, how the writers really weaved 
all of Constantine's, uh, you know, mini arcs or whatever you want to call them, all of these different storylines involving him into this episode. I mean, they did a fantastic job with it. Continuing on with Constantine, since he was the focus of this, uh, Professor, so Constantine in this episode, we're dealing with his addiction at, at a certain point in the episode, we actually see him facing his addiction. We'll talk about the game and all that kind of stuff um, in a little bit. Um, but I'll bring in a little bit of that because this is sort of the climax of that storyline. But we actually see Constantine come face-to-face -face with his addiction in this game. And his addiction is basically telling him, you know, this is the dark side of me, the one that, you know, does all, you know, the bad stuff, the stuff that, you know, you can't you know, force yourself to do, you know, you rely on me for that, and you're feeding me with uh, all of this dark magic because you're weak and all this kind of stuff. What did you think of the confrontation? And and then in the aftermath, we have Constantine, you know, he knows that he needs to stop, but he can't do it. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting decision having him face off, you know, against himself like that. It's kind of interesting because on the one level, John Constantine always presents himself as, yeah, I'm a I'm a jerk, I'm a bastard, you know, uh, and all of that. But it shows that even below that, there's another level of darkness that the real darkness is. Like, you know, John has a sort of this poser, you know, I'm the guy who doesn't care, uh, you know, uh, sort of you know uh, antihero type character. But it shows that there's there is a real darkness even beneath that that uh, even John wasn't willing to acknowledge. So I think that was a, an interesting take on that. And you know, it, it was you know a really a, you know a kind of effective way to play it off. It wasn't a surprise. I mean, as soon as I saw the figure with the the plague mask come on, I said, well, that's got to be Constantine. Um, but you know they did set up that scene where he's trying to pour out you know the uh, you know the magical elixir that he's addicted to and he really can't and you know uh, you know uh, Millie was just saying you know she wasn't crazy about Constantine's uh, uh, portrayal in this episode I actually kind of liked it because I I like the fact that you know we said several episodes ago that you know they were going to deal with you know Constantine's magic as being you know, an analogy for addiction and uh, all the things he's doing are the things that addicts would do in order to cover up. And, you know, in terms of him, you know, getting away with it, then not noticing it, you know, even when John wasn't addicted to magic, he was a selfish, self-obsessed narcissist. And so now he's just that to the nth degree. So it kind of makes sense that he's just a little more crazy. I think Matt Ryan did a pretty good job of playing the slightly unhinged uh, version of Constantine. He, he basically is just like Constantine, on cocaine. Um, and, uh, and I think it was good, but that, that last scene with him trying to deport out knowing is what you have to do. And again, I, I think one of the reasons I did like the episode and like Matt Ryan's portrayal in this episode is because, you know, for a very lighthearted, you know, as we've said before, workplace comedy show, this was kind of a very special episode in that it is dealing with, you know, one of these characters, you know, having to deal with this, uh, this very real world situation that, you know, many people that we've known have probably had to deal with as well. And I think they, you know, as, as wacky as the show is, in fact, they're making it, you know, uh, magic rather than a drug or anything like that. I think the way he portrayed the addiction, the, the knowing what he had to do, which was pour it out, but being unable to do so. I thought he played that really, really well. And I thought it was a good, you know, arc for it. Yes, it was a very Constantine heavy episode, but it didn't feel like sometimes there's an episode where they're not trying to make it a Constantine episode and he just sucks all the air out. We've talked about that before. This was meant to be uh, largely a Constantine episode and at least his plot. And I think yeah, they did a pretty good job. Of you know, even though he was obviously the one who had the most to do, and you know they they dealt with some of that by just killing people very early in the episode, so they didn't have to worry about them. But I think Matt Ryan really played it well, and I like the way they wrote it as well. They're not chickening out; they're they're you know playing the dark side of addiction, which is what they should do. You know, you you shouldn't suggest that it's not a serious issue. You shouldn't just you know wave your hands, and uh, yeah, and and I'm feeling a little more uh, like there's going to be a you know a much darker turn than I might have expected for Constantine by the end of the uh, season. Yeah, I'm worried for him as well. Millie, you were summoned by the professor, so I want to get your take on um, what uh, what was said, uh, and your thoughts on Constantine and uh, where he is by the end of the episode. Yeah, as it was alluded and called. I wasn't a fan, but I do think that it sets up for an interesting um 
kind of route for Constantine to take. Uh, I wonder if at this point, like, is there is there room for him to come back and be redeemed or anything like that? Um, I thought it was also interesting, uh, kind of touched on, we also see him, like, needing the the blood to, like, continuously have it, but also, uh, like, what it does to him physically. So I wonder if that's going to be uh, accelerated as well and that becomes more noticeable. Um, and that is kind of what further tips everybody that's, like, not right with him. Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, if you got your hand sort of curling up, uh, he had, like, a bad case of the arthritis. I mean, I wonder what else is going to end up happening. Like, yeah, that, oof. It's sad, because I've really enjoyed Constantine. Clearly, we know the character has to leave, so the character will be leaving. Matt Ryan will be back as a brand new character, but the character will be leaving at the end of the season. Um, I, I am worried, much like the professor, that it might be a really bad demise for the character. Uh, I don't know if uh, the professor is now believing that Constantine is going to die, but uh, I, I feel like he's headed down a path that he won't be able to come back from as easily. There was one little line when he was confronting, you know, uh, the darker version of himself. Uh, when, you know, the darker version was basically saying, I'm the one who does all of these things. And there was one little line in there when the dark version said, you know, I'm the reason all your relationships have failed. And that felt to me like, you know, given what we heard with, uh, with fashion, sorry, in the episode. Oh yes. Uh, and, uh, I, I think that's, that's a shoe that's just waiting to drop. Okay, well, let's talk about this, because this is Constantine adjacent. It is, well, Constantine involved. Uh, Zari 2.0 makes an announcement in this episode. She tells Bayrod that she, L-O-V-E, loves Constantine. Bayrod is taken aback, because he's like, you've never said that before about anybody. So that DJ... S'mores, whatever his, I think that's what it was. I guess she didn't say it to S'mores. Um, so she's feeling that with Constantine. And uh, she's pretty much ready to tell him. So will that change anything? Zari is an L-O-V-E love. Well, well let's start off with Millie. I want to get both your take on the uh, revelation in this episode, because it was interesting. Was it surprising, Millie? I don't think it was surprising. And for some reason, I actually thought they, she had mentioned it, that she loved him before this episode, so... Not going <laughs> to lie, I thought she had to. <laughs> but uh, it was a shock to Bayrod, so I was like, okay, I'll go with it. It was a shock to me, too, then. I, I just was going to maybe Bayrod forgot, because he was high most of the time, but... Um, it, it was clear we kind of go in that trajectory. And I think really what it sets up, and we kind of talked about it last week, was just the whole adding, I think, more emotional stakes for Fancy Zari for when Constantine does have his demise. Um, and I think setting up a emotional arc for her in the next season, kind of coming to terms with that, um, is kind of where I see that, that whole little nugget going. Okay. Professor, what about you? Your thoughts on uh, Zari 2.0? Fashion Zari Fancy Zari, as uh, Millie just called her, however you want to call her. Uh, which, what do you think about her being in love and how that changes everything? Well, I, I don't think it changes everything. I think, you know, I said last time that I didn't think John Constantine was going to die. I think dying would kind of be the easy way out getting rid of the character. I think having John just remain as an unrequited bastard, uh, going away, you know, flipping the bird and saying, F you guys uh, and, and walking off into the sunset alone is much more true to the Constantine character. Um, yes, he is. He is, you know, establishing that relationship with Zari, but he's had, you know, relationships that he thought were real before. He's just sabotaged them. And, you know, so it would be within his character, you know, that that dark side of him, you know, that dark side is not something that, you know, has just been created because of the, the new magic. That's part of him. He is a sabotager of his relationships. He is someone who, you know, not to get too psychoanalytical, probably doesn't think he deserves happiness uh, and, and therefore will find a way to sacrifice it. So, you know, we've got three episodes left in the season. I'm still leaning much more towards the idea of Constantine just leaving rather than Constantine being killed. I could be wrong about that, but I, I yeah, I just feel that. And I think it would be more painful for Zari, quite frankly, if, you know, the person that she loves just basically 
you know, walks away and leaves her than if the person she loves dies. Okay. We'll see. I have no idea. This is why I always kill people rather than letting them break up with me. That's just, you know, how I avoid that little problem. Well, that is true. I have heard that. I, I don't know where this is going to go. I, I really don't. I usually, you know, I, I can do a, I can stick with a prediction. And if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, you know, oh, well. But I, I really don't know how they're going to end this. Part of me believes that they have to kill off Constantine. And I know it's the cheap way. But I feel like if if they are sort of just closing the door completely to Constantine, because DC Comics and the HBO Max Constantine series, that's sort of like the general assumption. If it's because of that, then they I think they kind of have to kill him. But is that the best choice storyline-wise? I actually do like your idea, Professor. I still don't know how we get to the point to where Constantine is basically like, fuck all of them, because, you know, they have gotten to him. You know, he, in his own way, cares about the team. Um, he, in his own way, loves Zari 2.0 as well. So I, I wonder how we get there in a couple of episodes. Uh, if they're able to sell it, I will buy it. Stay tuned, everybody. Let's talk about Beast Slayers. Let's talk about the game. Let's talk about everything that happens in the game with our favorite people. From Ava being the first one to die, to uh, both Astra and Spooner teaming up and trusting each other in a weird sort of way. Let's talk everything Beast Slayers, which was kind of a riff on, I would say a little, it's a little bit Clue. It's a little bit Mafia, as was referenced, I'll be honest. I had never heard of the game Mafia until, like, a couple weeks ago, and that's because I watch a, a, tele a reality competition called Big Brother, and apparently, for the people that watch it on the live feeds, the people in the Big Brother house play Mafia all the damn time, and the people on Twitter bitch about it. But, so yeah, so I had no idea how Mafia works. I actually read the rules, and I was like, I think the only way that I would ever really understand the rules is if I actually played it. But I don't know if, if you, either of you know the game Mafia and have played it. Apparently it's a party game. But what do we think of Beast Slayers, whether you know about the Mafia or not? Uh, Professor? You know, it was uh, it, it made sense for there to be, you know, them playing this game on the ship as, you know, a low-power way to do things. Now, we've mentioned before there have been a couple of episodes where we've wondered whether there was a little bit of, you know, the writer's experiences of dealing with the pandemic coming through. And I think, you know, anyone who's, you know, been sort of trapped in a household uh, with a certain number of people for a long period of time might have, you know, appreciated some of the, the stir craziness, uh, you know, of the crew, even after just three days. Um, so I think that might be an element to it. And then, you know, of course, and, and honestly, I, you know, I, I was sort of thinking to myself, is Legends actually going to just have them sitting around playing this game? Because, Legends is crazy enough, they might do that. But of course, then, you know, John, uh, you know, takes it over and magics it up. Uh, I thought it was a good idea. It was a, it was a clever, I'm not familiar with the game Mafia either. I've, you know, heard enough about it to sort of figure out what it is. But yeah, it's got, you know, an element of clue, an element of role playing, an element of, uh, uh, of Mafia. So, I mean, and it, it ended up, you know, once they were in there and they were all in costume and playing their characters, it ended up being, you know, a lot more fun than I was sort of expecting when I thought it was just going to be them sitting around the, uh, the board game. Totally. Totally. Millie, had you heard of Mafia? And uh, what did you think of all the Mafia, not the Mafia, the, um, the, the Beast Slayer hijinks? I'm so surprised you guys haven't heard of Mafia, because I actually have. Have I've you played, played Mafia? I have, Have yeah. you been the Mafia? Have you killed people? No, I usually oh. am the one being killed. <laughs> <gasps> Must be a young person thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not that old, I'm just saying. But um, go ahead, Millie. Talk to me. Well, you, yeah. What did you think of then their interpretation of mafia, and what did you think of just the hijinks? Uh, you know, once they got transported into the board game. Honestly, the, on the get-go, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be a fan of this. Um, they all got transported. I'm like, mm, this seems a little bit too much. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. I think I like the little twist where they all kind of like become their characters and get like super into it. Um, and I, I like how everyone's kind of being picked off and you have the newbies having to solve everything. Um, I think 
like everyone I like how all the characters were very similar to their personalities and so it they turned into a really fun idea I feel like with any other writing team it could be really like clunky but this was done really smart and I love how poor little Gary is just like left on the outside while everyone has fun in his book. I know right we'll get into him in a moment because he has his own adventure on the wave rider were there any favorite moments during the game you know, once they were inside the game, was there anything that sort of stood out to either of you? You know, a little moment or a, a big moment? I'll open it up to the floor. Well, I liked how, you know, the idea that the longer they were playing, the more they became their characters. And uh, for Fashion Zari, uh, I thought, uh, you know, uh, Tala Ash did a great job of, of sort of playing as she was going further and further into that. Uh, they all did, you know, to a certain extent, but hers was, you know, the most overt and fun uh, type of that, which uh, I thought was was really uh, acute. Um, but, you know, all of them, you know, they, they did a nice job of sort of like uh, establishing, you know, that they were getting further and further away from their, their natural states and becoming more their characters. Uh, and I think they all did a good job of playing it. It's just that, you know, Tal Ashes being the funny one uh, really stood out for me. All right. So, Millie, was there anything that stood out for you during the game? Um, I don't know if it was, like, game-specific, but I do, like, I feel like there's extra just the relationship between um, Spooner and Astro is really evident when they're, like, solving the game. Um, I thought their like, little moments was fun um, that I don't feel like you normally see. And then also, like, Bayra's reaction to everything, um, I felt like it was a bit, like, heightened maybe because he was a starving artist. Millie, did you actually just give Astro some props? I did, but she's paired with Spooner, so it only, like, half counts. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. You're funny. Okay. Um, I will say uh, Ava, being the first one to die, spectacular. Especially because she had a plan, and she had, like, mapped out, you know, if this person's, then, then you know, this is the route that it's going to go. If that person, this is, I thought that was spectacular. She was ready to play frickin' Beast Slayer, and she was taken out in the first, as the first kill. Spectacular. Spectacular, spectacular. Okay. It also led to, you know, after the uh, the game, you know, as soon as they come out of it, you know, and of course Ava was out of the game the longest, so she didn't know what happened to them, but she came out of it immediately. Sarah's the killer. So A, she had figured it out. Congratulations to her. Uh, and B, let's play again. Uh, you know, because again, she hadn't gone through it. So I thought that was, you know, uh, it was a pretty dark episode uh, with everything that was going on in the game. So to have Ava have that, you know, humorous reaction because, you know, she wasn't as engaged uh, in, the, in the darkness, uh, I thought was a cute way to sort of take the edge off what as I say, was, you know, pretty dark, you know, by legend standards. Yes, very twisty. Yes. Uh, if they would have gone a, a clue, like parody, like that route, it would have been a lot lighter and campier, but they went, they took to, they went to the darkest timeline with that one in a very fantastic kind of way. Let's talk about everything that's going on on the Wave Rider. So Mick is not... In the game, because he's by himself um, working on puzzles, you know, because that's what Rory likes to do. Uh, there is uh, an unexpected thing that happens to the Wave Rider as, um, as, as uh, everyone is in the board game, and that's Bishop's ship approaches, docks, and out comes Kayla, who has been tracking them. And, uh, yeah, she, she tracked them because uh, they had stolen a piece of her ship, so she thought that her ship was there, but her ship is on Earth, and uh, she finds out how long it's going to take to get back to Earth. She explains how she escaped from Bishop's planet, and uh, she even we, we see that she's injured. Her lefty tentacle, which we learn um, has is its own being. Both tentacles are their own beings. Uh, was um, was chopped off or sliced off, and so they end up using Gideon and the organ. Um, what do you call that? The organ regenerator to regenerate her tentacle. So. A couple of questions here before we talk about everything else that happens with Kayla. Number one, were we surprised that it was Kayla that showed up? Number two, were we trusting of Kayla? Millie? 
If she got left on a planet that was exploding, I would not trust her at all. No. <laughs> okay. When you get left on a planet that's exploding, then you would be out for vengeance? Super, like, that's a grudge that doesn't go away. Okay. Unfortunately, you never get picked for that in Mafia. <laughs> Probably for re- that reason. Um, <laughs> okay. There you go. I, I was, like, surprised in the sense of, like, I knew Kayla was coming back. I didn't know she'd come back in this way. Um, so it was a nice, like, surprise that was her. It also makes sense because it's either that or just some other random alien that would be docked in the ship. But I thought it was a nice return, and she had a great entrance. And I think that her reaction uh, towards meeting Gary and uh, Nick again was very on point. Okay. Professor, without jumping ahead, because we are going to take that turn in just a moment. But I just want to get your initial take on Kayla. Were you suspicious of Kayla? Oh, the professor's muted. So all of those gems we missed. Uh, yeah, I was you know, suspicious of Kayla, but Kayla's always been uh, a, a sketchy character at best. I mean, you know, the, the only thing in her favor is that, you know, she uh, has an attraction to Rory, which is, you know, not exactly, you know, the, the strongest recommendation. Uh, for a character, so yeah, I was uh, I was expecting it to be something, uh, you know, uh, you know, if not evil, at least you know, somewhat malicious. Uh, as soon as she showed up, and of course, as soon as you see a, a ship coming towards them, you know it's going to be Kayla. And by the way, congrats, great that they did that. You know, I'm I'm so glad they did bring her back. Uh, you know, she's great. She's uh, she's very expressive, and uh, and she plays off of Rory really well. One hundred percent, I agree with you. And you need the right person to play off of Rory, and and they picked that person with Kayla. So, Rory is pregnant. One of his, one of the, I guess, the pregnancy side effects is um, a head full of hair. Can we just talk about the head full of hair first? Because I, I believe this is the first time we've ever seen Rory with hair on his head. I believe that's a wig, because it looked bad, but um, I, I could be wrong. I'm not a wigologist. Um, we have seen some really bad wigs in the Arrowverse in the past. Just go look at Oliver Queen, you know, early seasons of Arrow flashbacks and that kind of thing. Um, what did we think of Rory with hair? Uh, there's this whole thing with Kayla and Rory where um, uh, what was it? Uh, um... Gary was telling him that if she doesn't approve of him as a potential uh, parent and that sort of thing, that um, there's this uh, love grip that'll take him out and um, Kayla would potentially end up sucking up his brain that's filled with the um, alien babies and that sort of thing. So there was that visual that we got with just words. And so we do have a moment in time where Rory is tells Kayla, I'm pregnant. She ends up doing the the love grip thing on him. He gets knocked out. And so when the legends return from their adventure in the board game, we have them finding him. We find out that he is alive, so he's just knocked out. And they see him for the first time with a head full of hair. I will say... Astra's reaction to it, because she looks horrified, was brilliant. Props to Olivia's one, because I, I love that reaction. So Rory with hair, Rory with Kayla, Rory getting knocked out. Professor, talk to me about Rory in this episode. Well, I was actually expecting more when they took the hat off. I was expecting like long flowing Fabio style locks, um, you know, uh, you know, to really play it for, you know, sort of an overt, uh, comedy rather than just Mick with a bad haircut. Um, but, uh, you know, as I said, you know, I do like the way that he and Kayla play off against each other. Uh, it, it was, uh, it, it was really good. And yes, we did get to see Kayla, you know, playing the sketchiness, uh, and, and Rory not noticing it because, you know, he obviously, you know, whether it's because of his pregnancy or whether it's because of his guilt, uh, over leaving, uh, her behind, uh, was, uh, was very well played. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't a surprise when she turned on him, but I think they did do a nice job of setting up, you know, the, the, the love pinch or whatever it was. And, um, you know, um, yeah, not to, to jump ahead uh, to the end of it. You know, it was a great way to sort of, you know, get him out of the way uh, and allow, you know, so when the team gets back and they're going, you know, so the, the ship is, you know, 
somewhere. Uh, is it Earth? Is it not Earth? Um, but yeah, the uh, the various characters have been taken out of it, and they, even by uh, by having you know Gary's uh, glasses being taken off. So you know Gideon is offline, so they can't get any answers from her. Uh, Gary's lost his glasses, so he can't tell them anything. Uh, Mix unconscious. It was a very clever way of sort of you know resetting things, so that you know uh, all the, uh, the the main characters who were involved in the uh, uh, in the game subplot are, are essentially backfooted uh, by the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about that right now. I want to get both of your reactions to uh, everything that happens at the end. So we do see that Lefty has a mind of their own. We we have Gary catching Lefty, uh, Kayla's left tentacle. So the one that was severed off, um, it, it, it is there. It, it followed Kayla, and uh, it had its own plan. And that was to use Gideon's, the, 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 the Wave Riders uh, organ uh, reconstruction thing uh, to print out Bishop. Dun, dun, dun. We learned this because at one point in the episode, um, Gideon says that that machine is you know sucking up all of the ship's energy, this and the other. By the end of the episode, we are on a planet. We have arrived somewhere, the Legend Sea, that they are no longer in space. Gary gets into a fight with Lefty, and Lefty wins. Um, As the professor mentioned, Gary's glasses are missing. Um, Let's be real, I think Spooner could translate Gary, but you know, we we do need to end on a spectacular cliffhanger. So everyone that was in the board game doesn't know what's happened. They're all sort of trying to figure out what has gone on and how long they were in that board game. And then we hear Space Girl. Sarah goes and investigates. The door is open. We don't see who's there, but we know who's there in probably all his spectacular glory. Millie, Bishop is back. Let's talk about it. What'd you think of all of the setup? Uh, did you see Bishop coming back as an option? Like, when Kayla showed up, did you immediately go, oh shit, Bishop's coming back? Um, they're clearly bringing him back in a spectacular way, because, you know... Uh, the whole concept of him being out there and basically I, I think he even threatened it he was like you know i can you know just assign myself to some sort of 3d printer and print myself out at some point this that or the other he's he's back baby what'd you think of all of the twists and turns that uh, led to the fact that bishop is on the wave rider millie Oh, I thought it was a good, it was a good twist. I didn't see it coming, but I wasn't surprised. Um, I think that was kind of like the theme of the episode was like, oh, it makes sense once it's like laid out. Because we set up so much at the beginning of the season about Bishop. So for him to kind of poof, I feel like we were all, or at least I was a little bit sad and also confused. Like, where did he go? Like, is that really the end of this crazy guy? So I'm glad he's back and we get to see more of him. Um, I think that throws in another interesting wrench in terms of storytelling because a lot of what we were discussing is like, well, if Bishop's gone, is Constantine going to be the big bad? But obviously, Bishop's back, so is that going to clash? Are those two going to come together somehow um, in the culmination of the finale? So I think that it's really interesting, and I just love the way that uh, they presented it. So obviously we didn't see Bishop, but we just knew from the singing that it was him. So that was such a great way to like tease it. Oh, totally. I think the thing that I'm most looking forward to is Bishop's interactions with, like, the rest of the Wave Rider team, the rest of the Legends. Like, we've seen him with Sarah, and we've seen him with Ava clones, but I want to see him with Ava. I want to see him with everybody. Like, I want to see how he meshes and gels with uh, the rest of the Wave Riders. Uh, the rest of the Legends. Uh, the Wave Riders, good grief. The rest of the Legends. I think that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, Professor, did you see the Bishop twist coming? Yeah, I kind of did, simply because um, 
Oh, earlier in the episode, when Kayla was talking about he saved me, um, I really thought there was only one person that he could be uh, and that it would be Bishop. Uh, that said, up until she said that, you know, I'd kind of forgotten about Bishop. You know, they, you know, he was there, you know, they dealt with him. And then as we've talked about, it seemed like they were pivoting to dealing with Constantine uh, being the big bad for the second half of the season. Uh, and I think, you know, again, kudos to the writers for sort of getting us so focused on this that we forgot about, uh, you know, uh, the possibility of Bishop coming back because he did say that, you know, he could just upload himself to the cloud and all of that. Um, so it does does kind of make sense uh, that that he would come back like this. Uh, will we see more Ava clones? Probably not. I would guess they're still left on on whatever planet he was from. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I thought you know, Bishop was a lot of fun. You know, will he be you know the same you know sort of wacky Bishop that we saw before, or having been nearly killed? Uh, you know, uh, will he be sort of maybe a, a darker, uh, more serious version of that? Um, uh, I don't know. I suspect there will be, you know, that element of malice. And and as you say, Jeff, it'll be interesting to see him interacting with the other characters. It also, again, you know, sort of, you know, we were talking about, you know, uh, you know, Gary can't talk and, you know, they think they're on Earth and Gideon's been conveniently has to reboot. So, you know, I think it just sort of shows the idea that, you know, you know, while they were out of it in the game, uh, you know, um, uh, Bishop and and Kayla have been you know doing their own thing and sort of have probably you know seized control of of the Wave Rider entirely and you know Gideon will probably be offline so you know the the team of the Wave Rider is going to be you know trapped on you know on what I'm assuming is an alien planet um, and uh, and and have to deal with Bishop not unlike what uh, what Sarah had to do yeah totally I'm looking forward to the next episode I, I think it's going to be hella interesting with Bishop on the wave rider. Was there anything that I missed a teeny tiny little moment that either of you would like to bring up before we head into the MVP? I appreciate when Ava and Sarah are wedding planning. Of course, Ava is like super organized and she's tiered all the guest list and her, uh, her, I guess, jab at Barry and Iris not coming to the <laughs> wedding. Their bad luck. I thought was very funny. I will say this as a Barry and Iris lover. I do enjoy me some West Allen. Uh, that was hilarious. Because, I mean, let's be real. It is kind of true. I was wondering, as that sentence started, if they were really going to be shady. You know, especially because the fandom online really reacted uh, badly to how, um, you know, the folks over on Arrow kind of hijacked uh, Barry and Iris's wedding. Like, I wonder if they were going to, like, mention some of that. They didn't, but the shade that they threw was still delicious. I really enjoyed it. Professor, what about you? It Well, also on that, it's, it's a clever little bit of sort of, uh, you know, previewing something because, you know, we know the wedding is going to happen, you know, this season. And, you know, there might have been the question, you know, well, why weren't Barry and Iris there? Obviously, in the real world, it's COVID reasons. Uh, so by putting that line in now, it, uh, it pre-explains what might have been an issue later on. Very true. They also mentioned but like you, I was thinking about mm -hmm. the, uh, the whole arrow thing, but it was, it was, you know, Felicity and, uh, uh, and, uh, and Oliver who, you know, hijacked the wedding, uh, before. So, you know, uh, that would have been, you know, a great line, but uh, yeah, that would have been a very deep cut. I know, right? They also mentioned Black Siren, which I liked, and uh, I, I liked that they also expressed, you know, she's not my sister, but she's the doppelganger. I, I thought that it was really sweet that uh, that um, Sarah wanted to include her. What I think is going to end up happening is that they're just going to kind of elope just because of COVID protocols, as the professor stated. So I think it'll end up just being... The Wave Rider people, I don't think we're going to be getting any special guest stars from the Arrowverse. You know, whether they can pluck them out of time or in time and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. I think that's what we will be getting. Which will be nice. I'm sure they will make it spectacular. Uh, you know, we've seen weddings uh, on a budget. Or, well, on a budget, what I'm saying is on a Legends budget on Legends of Tomorrow, and they've done a good job with it. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. Well, now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, choose wisely. Professor, you are the lucky one to select first. So, uh, who's your MVP? 
Uh, I'm going to go with Matt Ryan. Uh, uh, as I said, I really liked his portrayal of, uh, of Constantine. He's playing him, uh, you know, over the top and out of control as a person on, you know, uh, any sort of stimulant would be. Uh, but as I said, you know, it's, it's not so crazy that John would behave in this way because John has always been a bit of an asshole. Uh, and this is just, you know, accentuating that. Uh, and I thought he played that really well. Uh, and that, uh, that closing scene where he was, you know, uh, trying to do the right thing, uh, but realized he was too weak to do it. Uh, I, I like the fact that they're, they're taking that, they're not taking the easy way out when dealing with then, uh, addiction, because again, the easy way out, if this was, you know, an actual especially realized, Oh, I really love fashions, fashions Ari, So I'm going to give this up and, and just be happy. And, you know, that's not John Constantine. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit gut wrenching to be seeing it happen. It's, it's gut wrenching thing to think what's going to happen uh, to Zari. Uh, but it's, it's very true to the character. A very good choice. And I would say this is probably the right answer, like period for the episode, but Millie, I want to get your take as well. Who's your MVP and why? Um, yes. Yeah, the right answer was Constantine, <laughs> but I would say that a close second for me would be Bayrod. Um, I just really liked how, well, we didn't get him in a stoner version, and we could actually see him looking out for Zari and not just coming from a place of, like, being her brother, not liking Constantine. So I like the conversations that they were able to have um, and, like, giving him a bit more there than normal. Very nice. A fantastic choice as well. I'm going to give it to, and this is a surprising choice, I'm going to give it to Gary. I really enjoyed what Adam Senkum did in this episode. There are episodes where we get a lot of Gary. And sometimes it can be very mucho. Like, very, very mucho. But there was just the right amount of Gary in this episode. His reaction to, like, everybody not wanting to play the board game. Then his excitement when everybody was playing the board game. And how he got into character as the narrator of the board game. And then all of his shenanigans with Rory, Kayla, and Lefty were really good in this episode. I thought uh, he did a fantastic job. And I thought the physical comedy of having to deal with clearly a tentacle that was uh, CGI'd in, so he had to act like, you know, something was choking him. I thought he did a fantastic job, so I'm going to give it to him. Now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 Wave Riders? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted Golden Wave Rider. Milliewood. As I mentioned, I was, like, very skeptical about this episode, but it pleasantly surprised me. Um, I think that they took a very possible cliche thing and made it really clever. Um, and I like how it was two separate storylines, but I think they were both done really well. And as goofy as a Clue Mafia thing, it was very dark. And, and I, you know, I had feelings about how they deal with the Constantine thing. Um, but overall, it was very enjoyable, very rewatchable. So I'll have to give it 9.2 Wave Raiders. All right, we've got a 9.2 from uh, Millie Wood. May I just ask you, because now it's this question that I've had ever since you said you actually played Mafia. Are you usually the first one that dies? I'm like first one or two for sure. Oh, okay. Aw. Well, that's sad. <laughs> All right, I was curious. So, um, yeah, thank you. Uh, Professor, what about you? How would you rate this episode? We're coming a little higher. I, I really like this episode. You know, I thought it was, uh, you know, obviously it's not one of the strongest episodes. Uh, you know, it's, you know, because when Legends is really strong, it's, it's, it's incredible. This one didn't have quite as much humor, uh, but they were dealing with, uh, with a serious issue, uh, you know, and, and sort of once they decided to go and, and deal with a serious issue in the game, uh, you know, they, they committed to that. They, they didn't do the cheap laugh lines or anything like that that would diminish from that. Uh, and, and as I say, I like the fact that they're doing that. Love the fact that Kayla came back. Uh, so I'm going to end. Love the fact that Bishop's back. So I'm going to give it 9.5 Wave Riders. 9.2 and a 9.5. We will continue the upward trajectory. I'm going to give it a solid 10. I know that I had a little bit of qualms when I said, you know, that I didn't necessarily like where Constantine is going, but he played the fuck out of it. So I can't really 
disagree with it. I, I can't, um, you know, take off any points for it. I thought it was a really well done episode. I enjoyed the game aspect. I enjoyed everything that was going on in the Wave Rider. On the Wave Rider, there are many twists and turns. In the game, there were many twists and turns. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode, and uh, I, I don't know. There's something that's holding me back from Golden. Uh, because we we get a lot of goldens here on the Wave Rider, because Legends has been fantastic this season. So I think that's what's holding me back. It it just it isn't there, but it is a very rewatchable episode, even though it is dark and twisty. Uh, props to the writers; they did a really good job of uh, creating uh, this episode. It was pretty much you could say it was a bottle episode. You know, both of the storylines, even though it did have two separate storylines, an A and a B plot, they were both in a bottle. One was solely on the Wave Rider, and technically the board game was on the Wave Rider, but, you know, in the board game, they were just in that one Constantine um, home set. So uh, they did a good job with, you know, based off of the fact that we didn't really go anywhere outside of places that we already knew. So uh, on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Time Masters. Here's our announcer, Gidget, to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you, Captain. Follow Papichilo Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Papichilo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at papichiloradio.com. Are you interested in joining the Papichilo Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at papichiloradio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Papichilo Radio programs by visiting papichiloradio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Time Masters and subscribe. Back to you, my captain. Thanks, Gidget. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. Good night, listeners. See you next week for the anti-penultimate episode. No, I think there's still two more. Oh, wait, anti-penultimate. Yes, you are right. Oh, look at you. You can. Read. Yeah, I managed to say anti-penultimate, but stumble over episode. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, you know, it's the English language. Millie Wood, our, our mafia. Wait, were you the mafia tonight? Um... Well, no one died, so no. Oh, okay. Well, we'll f- I guess we'll find out at some point. Millie, say goodnight. <laughs> Good night, listeners. If you want to follow me on Twitter, is at the Asian Nerd. That is true. If you were the mafia, there would have been a bloodbath. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Time Masters every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. Good night.